I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host today, Craig, joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Miss Vanessa Ferguson. Hi, Craig. Ooh, you got Kingdom Keepers right there. I do. This was a book that you gifted me, and I never would have thought that it would lead to something so special. But first, our other special co-host, Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hi, Brett. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Craig. It's so good to be here. Did Craig gift you this book too, or am I the only one special? We are equally special. (laughs) Okay, so you got the book too. Okay, good. I thought maybe I was the favorite co-host, but um, no, we're fine. We're the same. Well, of course. (laughs) It's fine. Yes, we're all favorite and we all love each other so much. So as your listeners may know, I love me some Walt Disney, but also some like children's stories is just something that I really enjoy. So having picked up Peter and the Star Catchers, that series, and reading from Ridley Pearson and Dave Barry. And then I go right into becoming kind of this Disney parks geek. And I hear about this series of kids that are going to be in the parks throughout the night and fighting Maleficent and all of this. And that is the Kingdom Keepers. And it, it, it just took me by storm. I loved all seven books. And then actually Ridley came back and wrote a three-part series all about Disneyland as well called The Return. And he's now back again giving us more kingdom keepers with inheritance and we are so lucky to be able to talk to Ridley Pearson today because he he has brought so many amazing stories and he brings the park to life literally in a way that really nobody else out there does so I'm so excited for this conversation and I can't wait to dive right in but before I do Brett any thoughts before we get to the interview well, you talked about Peter and the Starcatcher, and you know we we're all theater people too, so I can't wait to ask him about that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And Vanessa, any thoughts? I am just so excited to talk to someone who writes about the parks in a way that I mean, talk about escapism. When you're reading his books, you can really feel like you're there, you're back in the parks, and there's just such great detail and storytelling. And I can't wait to learn more about him and the rest of his works. Absolutely. So let's just get right into it, gang. Let's talk to Ridley Pearson, the author of so many amazing books, including Peter and the Starcatcher series. But also today we're going to talk about Kingdom Keepers and his newest Kingdom Keepers, Inheritance. We are so honored to have with us this prolific author, Ridley Pearson. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing great because I've been reading your books literally for years and years and whether that's Peter and the Starcatcher or whether that's the Kingdom Keepers I mean it's really great to get a chance to talk to you but I get a chance to ask the first question and that is what made you decide that the time was right to return to the Kingdom Keepers Oh gosh I never want to leave the Kingdom Keepers I've actually been working on the Inheritance series for a number of years this book got held up by the pandemic and supply chain issues and everything else so it's it's been around for almost four years i've finished the second now and the third which is the final in the trilogy i'm working on i in fact i was working on just before i spoke to you i think that in a weird way i mean you know so much of life is unplanned but um the the kingdom keepers being seven books was unplanned and then I, when asked if I could do something else, I, I decided to go back to the opening day in Disneyland. And I wrote a three book series called The Return. 
And I guess since I had done present and past, when I thought of this idea, I jumped into the future. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that Walt Disney had long ago come up with the experimental prototype community of tomorrow, which was Epcot. And they really, I mean, they being Disney and the Imagineers, they had some very detailed, ambitious plans, a triple deck of uh, transportation center under a huge hotel that had a seven acre park. I mean, they, they weren't just, you know, talking over a glass of milk about this. And I thought with everything Disney has given me, it would be fun to give back by doing an homage to Walt's dream and bringing that center of 40,000 residents around Epcot alive. You know, whether I've done that well or not remains to be seen, but it was a ton of fun trying. And uh, and that's what I've done. And, and once I realized it was in the future, an even more fun idea came to mind, and that was to make it about the Kingdom Keeper's kids, their progeny, and that they would have some abilities of Kingdom Keepers and some abilities of Fairlies if those relationships from the first book stayed together. And and that just seemed too too fun a sandbox to play in to not do it. That's just so wonderful. You know, I was telling my co-host before we jumped on that these are the books that I listen to to get excited to go to the park. So whether that's because <laughs> the audiobooks are also great. So I mean, I remember distinctly last March, I was flying down to Orlando and listening to the Kingdom Keepers books and oh. getting excited because your detail on all the attractions and everything else. And I know that Vanessa has a question about that. I do. Well, I'd love to go back to the story of how a VIP treatment that you had at the Disney parks led you to write the Kingdom Keeper series. And I would love if you could tell that story uh, for our listeners. Oh, thanks, Vanessa. Yeah, well, you know, I think first I have to thank my parents for teaching me to write thank you notes, because without that, none of this would have happened. But there's a terrific humorist uh, named Dave Barry, with whom I wrote Peter and the Star Catchers. And Dave is just a brilliant guy and a terrific writer and a funny guy, but, uh, you know, more than anything, he's smart. And I told Dave that I was, my, my parents, I, I grew up with Disney in that I, every Sunday we watched The Wonderful World of Disney and all of the terrific stories they told on there. But my parents were not the kind of parents that took you to Disney. And so I had never gone. And I was in my my midlife when I got the idea I would go down to Disney. And I wrote Dave to tell him I was going down there. And we ended up going together. And Dave is able to do all sorts of stuff. Dave told me I had to go with him because he is the world's expert on all things Disney. And I didn't, I didn't question that because you don't question Dave. Uh, <laughs> but I did try to pull a trick on him. So I called my publisher at the time, Hyperion Books was a division of Disney and I was killing people for a living. I was writing murder mysteries. And I said, look at, you know, I would love to one-ups Dave somehow because he's going to know everything and I know nothing and I'm going to feel like a chump this whole weekend. Is there anything you can do to help me? And, and, and Bob Miller, who was the publisher of Hyperion at the time said, oh, I love this kind of thing. Well, when we got there, first of all, they gave us they, they gave us free lodging at the Grand Floridian for three days, 
when we went into our rooms, there were free passes for the whole weekend. So we were getting one ups right away. And we were supposed to meet someone in the lobby at 7.30 who turned out to be our three-day VIP guide. And it was just so mind-blowing. We both had little kids at that point, about four and five. There were three little girls, two of ours and one of Dave's and Michelle's. And we, <laughs> so we had this, you know, out-of-body experience at Disney. And I had to thank someone. So I, I wrote a note to Bob Miller, and he actually called me and said, you know, you need to thank Wendy Lefcon over at Disney Books. All I did was ask her. She did all of this. And so having written the note to Bob and then decided to call Wendy, when I got on the call with Wendy, she was so happy that we'd had such a great time. And they were so generous to us. And she said, you know, what did you like the most about Disney and the parks? And I said, well, I, I would have to single out that all the attractions have a beginning, a middle and an end. And that that shocked me. I'm used to amusement parks that simply want to make you throw up. And <laughs> here, here were amusement parks that told you stories every time you got on a ride. And she said, well, you know, <laughs> you write stories. And I said, yes, I do. And she said, have you ever thought about writing for kids? And I said, well, I tell stories to my daughters every night. I probably had, at that time, I had told maybe 2,000 stories to my kids at night. And she said, we've been trying to get an exciting, suspenseful, adventurous book written about teenagers inside our theme parks, but nothing bad can happen. You can't sabotage a ride. You can't bring a weapon into the park. You can't have the kids hurt. And if you can solve this for us, we would love to publish it. And it led to the Kingdom Keepers. It happened that during that time, I was reading Peter Pan to our oldest daughter, Peg. She was about five years old. And she asked me how Peter Pan had met Captain Hook. And I went, oh, my gosh. And I dumped her into the couch and <laughs> ran to my office because there was this incredible story immediately in my head of how did Peter Pan get to fly? Why does he never grow old? Where did Tinkerbell come from? And I play in this gonzo rock band with Stephen King and Amy Tan and Dave Barry and Mitch Album and all these other people. And I was down playing one of those shows and staying with Dave. And I mentioned this, this question of pages and then Peter and the Starcatcher Mushroom. So suddenly I was writing a lot for Disney. That wow. is so, so good. There's so much there, actually, that is really so there cool. Is. I mean, the it's... rock band and the... <laughs> that is such a great story. And Brett, I know you have a, a story about Peter and the Starcatchers. Well, I do have that question. Well, I, I want to let you know I made my purchase of Kingdom Keeper's Inheritance, and I'm currently reading it practically as we speak. Now, I'm more of a, <laughs> I'm more of a nonfiction reader, but I'm having sure. such a great time reading Inheritance. So thank you very much. I'm, in, oh, I'm a huge you. Disney fan. So I'm going to do a, a shameless plug for a book I'm reading, um, okay. if you, since you like nonfiction, and that is The Hidden Life of Trees. If you have oh, not I've read that, that book, yes. it is mind-blowing. Okay. Wow. Anyway, well, we will move on. Yes. Well, sure. Yes. Okay. Well, it'll be on my list, but I have to finish this first and then go back and read everything else that you've written. But anyway, <laughs> but but speaking of Dave Barry, 
I'd like to ask a couple of questions about Peter and the Starcatchers. And how did you start how did you start working with Dave on that? Well, you kind of mentioned that, but can you go into that just a little bit further? Yes. So I was staying at his house and we were eating breakfast and and just out of politeness, he said, What are you working on? And I told him a couple of the thrillers I was working on. And I said, But you know, Paige, our daughter asked me how Peter Pan met Captain Hook, and it occurs to me there's a prequel there. And in this band, you never talk business, but Dave's eyes just flared. And, and I said, Dave, you know, you write booter jokes for a living, and I kill people for a living, and I wonder if we took your humor and my suspense and combine them if we couldn't write a fun story about how Peter Pan met Captain Hook. And we could get it printed down at Kinko's and I could give Paige and Story, uh, my daughters, a copy and you could give Sophie a copy and maybe we'd each keep a copy. So there'd be five copies in the world, but we would have this fun time doing it. And and he, he said, ah, oh, he slapped the table and said, I'm in. And we thought, we were writing about an 80 page book for our kids. That's how that whole thing started. Wow. wow. That's so great. Yeah. It ended up 550 pages and published by Disney, but that was never the course of events. <laughs> See, well, one little spark yeah. <laughs> of inspiration. But it it's... actually came from Wendy Lefkon because I was working on Kingdom Keepers and I mentioned this. I said, hey, Dave Barry and I are going to write a prequel to Peter Pan. And there was just silence on the line. And she went, would you repeat that? <laughs> and I said, Dave Barry and I are going to write a prequel to Peter Pan. And she said, well, then I would like to see it right now. <laughs> and so I sent her three, I sent her three chapters and Disney bought the book. Oh my oh, gosh. Wow. Well, we never great. intended to sell the book. So. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes things work out that way. Yes, exactly. so, well, the three of us met doing community theater. So I have to ask you about the process of turning Peter and the Starcatchers into a, a very well received theater piece. Did Disney Theatrical approach you? And can you share a little bit about um, your involvement with creating that show? Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole show on this. I can talk for an hour oh. about this, but I'll try to keep it to just a minute or two. First, Disney uh, uh, Disney did buy the they owned the rights, but they bought the option to make an animated feature out of Peter and the Star Catchers. Oh, wow. And then they bought a company called Pixar. And the head of Pixar said, oh, I love this, but the way we work, we won't start this for at least seven years. And Dave said, I could be dead in seven years um, because Dave <laughs> cracks jokes. And so eventually we decided not to do that. And there was a guy who had just left advertising in New York City and was working just really as a friend, a paid friend under Tom Schumacher at Disney Theatrical. And he was kind of a scout. He would read books that Disney did or other people did and go to Tom and say, this might make a play, this might not. He was also working on a musical of his own, but that wasn't really known at that point. His name was Rick Ellis. And Rick Ellis went to Tom Schumacher and said, Tom, you, you own, whether you know it or not, a terrific stage piece about how a boy became Peter Pan. And that, that, Rick Ellis is who wrote Jersey Boys in the interim, co-wrote Jersey Boys. So suddenly, by the time we were 
maybe a year into this process, we had, you know, the hottest guy on Broadway doing uh-huh. an internationally best-selling book. Um, it is not a musical, but it is a play with music. Music. And I mean, Dave and I say quite honestly, had they ever asked us to write the play, it never would have seen the light of day. It wouldn't have even seen your neighborhood, you know, church play because Rick did it so brilliantly. But Tom allowed me, Tom Schumacher allowed me to be a fly on the wall as long as I kept my mouth shut. And to what, because I grew up with a lot of theater and just adore it. And so, uh, you know, you have probably been through all this, but I was able to go through six years of the development of the piece. And as I say, I've got a hundred stories about that. And, and they all, if you haven't been through that process, they all are stunning and, and show you the talent it takes to get a piece finally to Broadway. And it was an amazing experience. And it inspired me so much that I've written my own musical, co-written a musical for high schools, which I'm right in the middle of rewriting entirely. But we performed it last year in Connecticut and it went really, really well. And now we're just trying to sharpen it up. Great. Well, that's good news. Bringing that art to all these kids, that's what you've done your entire career. And it's just incredible to me. And I do want to bring it back to Kingdom Keeper's inheritance. I just have to say that Smee is basically one of my uh he's 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 basically me and so thank you for <laughs> highlighting Smee so much in those peter and the star catchers books and then also uh, of course in the stage adaptation too so hopefully one uh, day I'll, I'll play him and if i do i'll make sure i'll shoot you a, an email and very you. good well um, it's me it's me right. it's who it's me it's me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what I loved about the two previous Kingdom Keepers book series is just, again, how much you painted that picture of the Disney parks for us fans, and you made it so accessible uh, for us. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you got to research while doing Inheritance that just surprised you about the development of Epcot or anything that, about their attractions that you're using uh, throughout this series. What is it that surprised you in your research for Inheritance? Yeah, well, first, thank you. And and second, thank you to Becky Klein and Kevin at the uh, archives, because at Disney Archives, you can see and, and hear and experience a million things, and they let me do that all the time. I think, for me, it was what was intended for Epcot and then what occurred with Epcot. I was shown around, um, I forget his name, by a wonderful man who knew everything there is to know about Epcot. And so I've been into all the VIP lounges and I've been into the pavilions that no one ever sees because they've been closed down for a decade. And, you know, all of that is amazing. But they also let me, for instance, backstage at the fireworks where they load up all the fireworks. They let me backstage throughout the area and they let me go under some of the attractions. Um, There's a, and you guys will know the name of it because I'm too old to remember anything, but there's a, uh, there's some kind of space attraction at Epcot that spins and you spin with it. And, and I can't do those rides. They, they drive me crazy. So I finally said, you know, how does this even work? And they took me downstairs and it's basically a giant record player. Wow. <laughs> this this platform spins at like 40 revolutions a minute 
and you're on it and everything's moving and I don't know how it all works, but I did see all the gears down there. That kind of thing makes that world so rich to me. And that that's the stuff I want to bring the readers into. Yeah, absolutely. And you do such a great job of that. Vanessa? Well, I also love that this new series, it's taking place in that Epcot that Walt Disney imagined, that uh, prototype community of tomorrow. And and so I'm wondering how much of Walt's vision can we escape into in your book and how much of it is from your own imagination? Great question. I would say 99% of it is Walt's. The changes that I had to make I felt I had to make were that because the hotel and seven acre park had never been built, I needed to keep world showcase the way it is and then put the community outside of the world showcase. But if you've ever seen the images, the, the way Walt envisioned it, and it was popular in the, in the late fifties, early sixties was to kind of make flower residential flower communities. In other words, you know, semicircles or circles around a central avenue. Um, and then that would break out into areas. Where, and I think they still design things this way, but so that from the air, it would really look almost like five flowers, six flowers around it. And that's what I worked off of. But I wanted to bring the kids of the Kingdom Keepers into the Epcot we know so that we could also experience something when we went into the parks and feel ourselves where these characters had been. I had, through the first two series, wanted to touch on the international parks. And I wanted a very believable way to get there. And I have another story, if we ever have time for it, about how I got the Kingdom Keepers to Disneyland at the end of book seven. But in this case, since the books were really an homage to Walt Disney. I, I wanted to do the method as an homage to Philip Pullman's great Golden Compass series, in which a character takes a knife and can cut the air and move through it. And the homage is that in Inheritance, Eli takes Mickey's wand from Fantasia and just swings it in defense at one point and the air opens up and he steps through into this old decaying Disney park that's in Morocco. That park is actually outside of Beijing, but it's in Morocco that I, I'm sure you guys know, but years and years ago, decades ago, somebody tried to build a Disney park without licensing mm -hmm. and Disney eventually shut it down. And that park still exists outside of Beijing. And when you drive by it, it's all just crumbling down into the ground. And it's so spooky and scary. And it gave me this great vision for what Eli might step into. And I just moved it to Morocco because I, I through the series, I want to use the World Showcase as a portal to the international parks. If yeah. that isn't too confusing. No, no not at all. I'm, I'm so excited to kind of walk through the Epcot of what could have what could be and then have a, a easy way to get to the international parks through world yeah. showcase yes well it's really <laughs> it's fun. Easy. easy yeah because i got to take today's technology and, and sort of our hopeful technology and just play with it so you know i have hovercrafts in there and they call the the community the community because it looks kind of like a tree going around it and so they have different ways that they, they move around. They have different ways they communicate. Everybody wears kind of a Dick Tracy 
hologram producing watch, like a very sophisticated Apple watch that puts little holograms up above it so you can talk to your mom. And, the, you know, I had so I, I love tech and science. And so I've had a real fun time sort of uh, incubating some of those ideas and pu putting them into the books. Well, it's real interesting, too, because the Kingdom Keepers, they're sort of passing the torch onto the Kingdom yeah. Kids. And and I know a lot of your readers are adults, but how are you adapting the series to relate to kids today? Is some of it through the tech that you described? Yeah, probably. I um, I touch briefly on the Kingdom Keepers and, and they're apparent through the through the books i actually had many more scenes in the first book with the kingdom keepers and eventually my editor and i decided to take them out i am putting more into the seventh the third book the 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 final of the series but yeah i think that because i've had kids and because i speak to kids probably twice a week um, in schools around the country they're different than the kids were 15 years ago. And I hope mm -hmm. I've, I've caught some of that. I have no idea if I have, but because I'm old, but um, I, uh, I, I really want it to resonate with kids. So far it is, so fingers crossed. The stories you bring about, though, are truly are timeless. I mean, really, like they, uh, I, I'm so excited to read these last three. And I'll tell you, just a shameless promotion. If your third book needs a trepid group of podcasters, you have three of uh, three names you can use right here. But I will say, so if Disney's going to get you in trouble with this question, please let me know and we can skip it. Sure. But, um, but I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith and he has been... Ah. He has been very vocal about the, the fact that he was signed on to be a showrunner for Kingdom Keepers on Disney+. Plus. And of course, that show didn't come to be. And they talked about because maybe the IP was so expensive to be able to produce. But I just didn't know if you ever thought of your series coming to some kind of either animated film or coming to a live action type of repurposing. Absolutely. We have, we being either Disney films or the television side of Disney, have discussed and worked on this for 15, 20 years now. And Kevin was the second of three or four attempts we've done. Mm. Uh, there was even discussion for a while of putting some form of the Kingdom Keepers into their reboot of Epcot. And, you know, these things come and they go, I've got all these PowerPoint decks that Disney sent me and all this stuff. But, you know, they eventually you know, in a series or something, you're looking at 40, 50, 60 million dollars. And eventually they decide to spend the money on something better than the Kingdom Keepers. So uh, we well, were very... That might not, that, we, that's to up well, to I mean, opinions, maybe more right? Or something, but <laughs> they were very close just six months ago. I mean, we, we mm. were within probably a week, we thought, of getting onto Disney Plus. And uh, it didn't happen, but it doesn't mean it's dead. Okay. Right. Um, that... It's really complicated, and and I do think sometimes that it's the IP that keeps them afraid of it. It's like they feel like it's too much IP. Although, if we could ever just meet face to face, I have you know a half a dozen ways to keep that to a minimum. Mm -hmm. um, I think, for instance, the Inheritance series would make a terrific Disney Plus series because it doesn't use any of their IP. The only thing we do is walk into Epcot and go through to another world. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of consciously aware that by including so much in the books, 
it's it scared the the movie the uh, studio a little bit, but we'll see. I, I'm never giving up. I'm never giving up on Peter and the Starcatcher. We were within 24 hours of a major major director doing Peter and the Starcatchers. He had been working on it for 18 months. He had invented new machinery so that he could fly the kids in ways that we've never seen kids fly. And he had designed all this stuff, I mean, with architects and the whole bit. And then 24 hours before we were told we would get the green light, um, a different public, a different film company released its own Peter Pan movie. And they contacted the director and he said, there's no way we can beat that release date. And Disney knew you couldn't come in two months after that with another Peter Pan movie. So all of that work that had been done was folded into a, a file folder somewhere and we've never heard of it since. But um, mm. I know they're now doing a live action Peter Pan and I keep thinking, why aren't they doing Disney Plus, Peter and the Star Catchers, as this cool kind of tie-in? Here's how the, how the kid became Peter Pan, and now look, here he is. But, you know, I don't run Disney, so what do I know? Even, um, you know, again, just we don't run Disney, but even just there's been so many well-done Broadway filmed. Uh, look at Hamilton and look at so many others. Wow. Gosh, that would even just be wonderful to get that in front of more eyes. But anyway, uh, oh, yeah. but I know you have our next question. You know what? I'm, I'm going to interrupt because one sure. hope we have is that Mr. Iger is back. Mm -hmm. And he was a big supporter of Peter and the Star Catchers and a big supporter of the Kingdom Keepers. Right. How he even knew about them, I have no idea. But uh, with the minute I saw he had come back, I thought, hey, we might have a chance again. So who knows? Well, Ridley, he knew about them because they're good. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Well, as I am just into inheritance, and as you mentioned, you're sharing a future vision of the parks that allows you to exercise perhaps your inner Disney imagineering skills. Hmm. How do you think the parks will grow and change in the future? And are there any particular stories or worlds or attractions you'd like to see in the parks? Well, that's a big one. Um, you know what I will say, and you guys will know the name of this. What is the Star Wars Galaxy Edge ride? It isn't a ride. You kind of walk. Well, right. Well, Rise of the Resistance. Rise of the Resistance. Uh -huh. To me, I, again, I had a guide maybe four months ago and I went through that. That is a mind-bending way to tell a story. I had the uh, VIP guide just take me and the family through like three times in a row because I <laughs> I kept saying, well, that was a good, good, good ride. And, and the person said, oh, we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> and I went, what? You know, um, and then you walk into this room where you could spend three days. I mean, it's it's so immersive that I really think there will come a time in entertainment history when park entertainment around the world will look back at that attraction and say that changed everything. That to me is the future of storytelling in, in a physical presence. That is just nothing short of brilliant. And, you know, kudos to the Imagineers who put that thing together, or maybe, you know, maybe it was Ms. Kennedy and her crew out in San Francisco, but oh my 
gosh, what a job they've done. And I could see almost every Disney attraction that we've come to love re-skinned into something like that. And you would just, like now, you'd never get enough of it. I think the cool, you know, you asked me earlier about what do I enjoy most about the parks. And, and one of the things is that I never get tired of going there, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm a grown man. But I see something different. I experience it in a different way. I see someone else's reaction to it. I just love being in the parks. And I think where they're headed, if this is an indication of where they're headed, look out. Because these things are going to be even more addictive than they are now. That, that attraction is mind-blowing. I yeah, concur. absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so fun to listen to you talk about storytelling and you have given us so many stories. Most of us can only hope to tell one great story, but since you are a professor in the creative writing department at Boise State University, I wanted to ask you what advice you might have for writers who find themselves stuck and having trouble being creative. That's a great question. People ask me about writer's block and I don't think there is writer's block. I I think writer's block is a laziness at first. So the three most important things, of course, for being a good writer or, or a, a, you know, a commercial writer is reading, reading, and reading. You read and you learn every time you read. And if you don't, you're not reading correctly. Try a different method. In terms of what people can do who are writing is plan your work. It's great to just write off cuff. And I understand the strength of that. But most of the time, that's where you run into a brick wall. I liken it to getting in a car with a full tank of gas, never figuring out if there's a gas station along the way and just driving, and you're going to run out of gas. That's just what happens. And if you outline, as I do, and and even if you give that up later in your career, but if you outline, I outline every book I do, so that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. It sounds so simple, and it's the hardest thing about writing, is figuring out the beginning, the middle, and end. People have a good idea for a book. That's not a book. They'll have a great ending. That's not a book. You have to figure out that drama follows a structure. And if you can learn to write within that structure, you can tell a heck of a story. Much that's, like all that's those. That's really actually great to hear. <laughs> yeah, much like all those Imagineers, you mentioned that that's why you love the parks because of the beginning, middle, and end of the attraction. And podcasts. And, <laughs> Thank you. you know, right. <laughs> I, I mean, this all comes from the Greeks and Greek mm-hmm. drama. And then Carl Jung realized that we dream in three acts. We dream in a beginning, middle, and end. And then others like uh, Joseph Campbell have followed that saying, hey, you can also write this way and make a hero's story this way. And when you when you read some of these people and find out the elements they're using, you don't have to follow all of that. But if you're if you run into a problem, you can look back and say, oh, you know, I didn't have an inciting moment at the end of the beginning. Uh, And I didn't have a new inciting moment at the start of the middle. And and you can find it's a repair kit for good drama. 
All right, Ridley. Now I uh, have told you how much I love your books. And now I have to tell you how much you also terrify me now when I go into the <laughs> parks, because there is a scene uh, and I think you're going to know immediately what I'm talking about in the first Kingdom Keepers book, <laughs> where you have the dolls come to life from It's a Small World. And I want to ask you very seriously, why did you choose to traumatize so many generations of Disney fans with that scene? I mean, what, what, <laughs> Or, you know, I just want to have a bit no, of fun with you here. Absolutely. That was such a memorable well, scene. I think, you know, through my crime novels, I have come to and have always done a lot of research. That's my deal, is research, research, research. And so my deal with Disney, when they asked me about, could I write a book for younger readers, which I had never done, was, yes, but I have to observe. So I would need to get into your parks. And then as I figured out what the story was, I said, not only do I need to get into your parks, I need to get into your parks after dark, after everybody's left, when they are spooky and no one's around because that's what my story is gonna be about. And they said, no way, we, we don't let anybody do that. And this was Wendy Lefkon and Maybe a month passed and she called me and said, okay, I'm sending you a pass that will let you into our parks anytime you want to go for free anywhere in the world. And if you call ahead, we will assign a Disney Imagineer to take you through <laughs> um, and you will go after hours. So I went. I have now been 31 times. And the first one I went to, I went on Splash Mountain, Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain, and it's a small world. And I have a story from each of those. But the one you're referring to was I went into Small World. You know how some days, not often, but some days, Walt Disney World can be chilly. And this was a very chilly morning, probably 4.35 o'clock in the morning, dead empty place. Spooky as heck. All the lights are off. There's no people. There's no music. It was just weird in there. And uh, my destination was Small World. And we got there and my, my normal procedure is that I walk the ride, I walk the escape route in case it should ever break down or anything. And it takes about an hour and they, the, whoever's with me tells me all the tricks and troubles and everything in building it. Not that I use all that or I'm allowed to use it all, I just wanna know it all. And then at the end, they can radio in for some cast members to come and turn it on for me. So in the case of uh, It's a Small World, just because that song gets stuck in my head and I can't forget it for three weeks. In the case of Small World, I asked that they not use the music, that they turn off the lights, and which is how I had walked it, and that they turn off the dolls. And they agreed. So I went through in the boat with my Imagineer guide and we went through one scene and it was getting chillier and darker and weirder. And I have photos of these I'm not allowed to share. And then in the second scene, out of the corner of my eye, two of the dolls moved. And I about had a heart attack. I jumped up out of the boat. And when I landed, my guide said, you know, what's wrong with you? And I went, <laughs> and uh, he said, Ridley, you're an adult. These dolls don't move. And I said, dude, I'm also an Eagle Scout and Scout's Honor. Two of those dolls just moved. I mean, I will go to my grave telling you two of those dolls moved. It scared me to death. <laughs> so I had a little notebook with me and I wrote down two of the dolls moved. It's a small world, scared me to death. 
And when I went to write the chapter about five kingdom keepers running away from Maleficent, looking for these keys to a code, ending up in It's a Small World, and they get on the ride, there's no music, the dolls are all stuck, so you're, and, and there are no lights. And I typed, and you know, in the second scene, two of the dolls moved. Well, I have been in a charity authors band with a number of authors, including Dave Barry, for, for almost 30 years now, 32 years, I think. And uh, that includes Stephen King. And so I had my little, what would Stephen do moment? And I, I backspaced and went, four dolls move. <laughs> and then I backspaced and I went, no, no, Stephen would say, and all the dolls move. And then I just described what I could see happening. They all break off the platform. They're walking like Chucky. They're diving in the water. They're trying to swim. They're snapping at the kids. And that's my small world. And to this day, to this day, Craig, there are times I can't go on that ride. I get right to it and I take the exit and let my kids get on it. I just, I can't do it again. Did you, I don't know if you saw Vanessa's reactions while you were describing all that, but I think she needs, she needs a little bit of a, she needs some breathing exercises now. Is that, are you okay, Vanessa? Got to massage your back there. I knew it was coming, but it was still really scary. (laughs) (laughs) It was terrifying for me. And, and, and the guy made like I was making it all up. And I'm telling you, I saw two, I have since met two other people who have seen dolls move in there and there are also other lore that you probably know about but there was a sleeping beauty attraction that for years cast members who were assigned there would give up on it and tell assign somebody else because when they turned on the light in the morning there would be a sneeze from the back of the room from sneezy and and they would just say i can't go in there again you know so, I mean, there's some really cool stuff that happens in Disney. Wow. Well, I, I know that we wanted to get in some rapid fire questions. So you're up oh. for those. Yes. Well, being a, being a Disney fan, and we, we certainly understand that and certainly uh, feel that way too. Even, I don't know. It's, I don't know if we feel, yeah, but no, we feel it as much as you do. Absolutely. <laughs> so we have, so we have these rapid fire questions. What is I'll your do my favorite? best. I'm terrible. Go ahead. Oh, okay. And you can no, no. actually, you don't have do to. I will do my best. You can do it how you'd ever you'd like, you know. I will but reveal we call them ignorance. rapid fire. No. Okay. Yes. Well, these are, well, okay. Okay. I'm sure you'll be <laughs> fine with these. I'm going to put you in a comforted space. You. These are easy questions. So what is your favorite Disney film? You can have multiples. Mm, Lion King. Mm. Okay. Great. That's great. And um, what is your favorite Disney park? If I've had, I mean, the, the idea that you've had access to anywhere is, is a great thing. So what is your favorite Disney park? Magic Kingdom. Okay. And Disneyland, hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Just because of the iconic value of them. Just walking but down I that I love Animal Kingdom. I mean, I adore it. And Epcot is now tattooed somewhere on my body that I can't find because I absolutely am enamored with Epcot. Great. Well, I... Great answers. Great answers. So let's see. Um, well, what is your favorite Disney park restaurant? Napa Rose. Ah, yes. It's very good. Yeah. Not in the so parks, but close no, enough. Right. Yeah. The chef's table is amazing. Have you done that? Oh, my gosh. Yes. I, I yeah. went, I, 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 was, I was sent there to do a reading or something just a few months ago. And they said, we got you a reservation at Napa Rose. And I said, oh, thank you, because they knew how much I liked it. I, there's a guy named Joe behind the bar. I adore Joe. 
And and I walk in and, and you know, I said, can I sit over there? Because I thought I was eating in the bar. I eat alone. You know, I'm traveling alone. And they go, no, we have you over here. And I, and I follow this person. I was at the chef's table. Yes. And I went, what wow. am I doing here? Yeah. You know, this billion dollar dinner. And it was the coolest thing. Oh, my gosh, was it great. Yeah, yeah, it's a great experience. Oh, my okay. gosh. Well, so, okay, so that's kind of a wonderful high-end experience. But do you have a favorite Disney snack, Disney Park snack? A Disney Park snack. Uh, my kids love the, um, the powdered waffles. Oh, and sure. um, the beignets and in the in the yes, how did yeah, well, yeah, they're at Disneyland, like yeah, yeah, okay. Well, at yeah, Magic Kingdom and places, okay. And then in the second inheritance book, I have the head of Disney, the CEO, whose name is Walter Wright, in my book. Um, Walter Wright adores the Dole, uh, Dole Whip, you know, Dole, the Dole Whip. Mm-hmm. Whip. Yes. And he gets himself in a world of trouble because of the Dole Whip. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You, like, yeah, wait. Oh, my gosh. Not telling you what to do, but if you wrote a turkey leg into your books, I would very much appreciate it. So Thank now, <laughs> so now, Ridley, if you're taking notes in this, uh, you know, 40 minute interview, we've asked to be part of your book as characters and also so you could put in our, our favorite snacks. So we just need uh, to all go there together. Okay, yes, I'm fine with the Dole Whip, but yes, need, let's do we, that. We need a VIP guide. Oh, hey, that want. would be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. <laughs> that would be great. Okay, let's, and this one, okay, this is not a rapid fire, but hopefully it is. Let's see. I'm if being you, unrapid. I apologize. Oh, I apologize. that's okay. No, no. If if you could have any Disney slash Marvel slash Star Wars or Pixar film become an inspiration for a Disney park attraction, or show or experience, what would that be? So you're just, see, I'm making you a Disney Imagineer because I really believe that that's in your heart there. It is in my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's there are, I think there are quite a few that I would make into the old kind of, um, you know, what we would think of as traditional Disney attractions. But mm-hmm. if you combine some of what they did years ago in Epcot with a current, hot series for marvel you could do an amazing ant-man attraction oh, oh wow okay well there it remember is remember when they had honey i shrank the kids or i know yes. i shrank right. the audience shrank the audience i shrank yes. the audience i loved that and if they combined that with ant-man yet made it like rise of the whatevers you know See? oh my god there it is that is a great mashup is. well i love that great so imagineers listening you know we have friends here, so. <laughs> I'm sure you do too. Big time friends. Okay. And I have one, I have one more question, but how would you describe Disney magic? How do I describe Disney magic? Not the ship. Not the ship. ship. The ship I I, I describe as I want to come again, please. Okay. Um, Disney magic. I I think that, uh, well, for one thing, it's real in that, you know, I feel I had the opportunity. I, I think this is a, maybe an appropriate way to tell this uh, on one of my tours i had an opportunity to visit walt's apartment where he and lillian stayed and i was with an intern or two of mine and we walked around in there and they showed us they they sort of thumped on the floor where walt used to be able to jump on the pole and slide down into the fire house and walk out to meet his guests and do all that and I said, you know, is there any way that the Disney rules would let me just sit in this room 
for 20 minutes or so without all of you, because they always have an entourage around you. And my intern and I, Brooke Mushat and I sat in that room just on the floor. She was on one side, I was on the other. And, and I just sort of looked around, closed my eyes, looked around and, and I was really overcome with creative vibes, with heart, with, with some kind of bizarre love. Whether I made all that up, I have no idea, but boy, did I have, uh, I felt something in that room. And I want to think that that is the heart of Disney magic is I once had Stitch come up to me and point to me and then open a book with his or her hands and then point to themselves and then point back to me saying, I've read your book. And the hug that Stitch gave me is the essence of Disney magic. Wow. Yep. My goodness, Ridley, I, we could well. sit here. We could sit here and talk to you uh, for so long, and we we just adore your books and thank you so much for those. But there, there's one final question that we like to really ask our guests, and that is that you've done hundreds of these types of interviews over your career. But I'm well, wondering, not like not as good as this. Come on. <laughs> well, thank That's you. Right. But is there a story or a message that you're never asked about, but you always want to talk about it? So this is kind of like an open forum that you can uh, close this out here. My grandfather, who, if you can believe this, was born in 1883. And that seems like a very long time ago, but that's just my mom's dad. He was in Kansas and he ended up a telegraph operator. And he went all the way through the West um, in the early 1900s. He went through Montana and Idaho and uh, Oregon, Colorado, Arizona, all these places. And he used to, and, and he visited and lived with Native Americans while he was doing that. And he used to take me on his knee as a very little lad and he would tell me stories about the West and about his travels. Maybe it was all made up. I have no idea. But he was a storyteller. And that storytelling infected me. And I've been a storyteller my whole life. And I, I think the one thing I don't get enough chance to talk about is how important it is to read to our kids tell stories to our kids, whether you make them up or not, to give your kids adventure and give them excitement and give them a love of the written word. And it just makes them better people, smarter people, brings the family together. I, I love family. I think family is the thing and it isn't always easy, but it is just amazing. And I think what Walt Disney's hidden, maybe not even hidden goal was to create a family. And he has created this family of hundreds of thousands of workers and millions of guests. And we all feel like we know each other. We all feel like we're friends. I mean, you want to talk about magic. How is that even possible? Mm -hmm. But it brings us closer and it's a comfortable place to be. And, and I love him for that. 
Wow. Just, and think about all the people that you're inspiring to be those next uh, storytellers. So thank you so much for the art and the creativity that you put out in the world, because it really helps enrich all of our souls. And we really appreciate you so much. And thank you so much for your time today. Uh, you're so kind. I, I do hope we can all get in the park together sometime. Oh my goodness. Oh, please. Be amazing. This has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much. I really want to go hang out in the parks with this guy. I mean, oh my that gosh. Was, that was an offer. Is that, yeah. Is that like, you know, bonding or something? Cause I, I really hope that happens. Oh my goodness. He is incredible. And it's so cool because like he keeps talking about all these different ways that he's also trying to reach out to the next generation to make sure that we preserve those storytellers. I think he mentioned it. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm in schools a couple of times a week talking to school kids about uh, being an author and being a storyteller. He also mentioned that he wrote his own uh, musical and then he put that on at a high school because he's trying to get that going. Like, it's just cool to meet someone that is so focused on making sure that the next generation of artists thrive as well. Right, Vanessa? Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, what a creative person. It is so fun to listen to him speak. The passion uh, really comes through when he's talking about storytelling and you could tell he has such a, a thirst for learning and just making sure that stories are continued to be told. And I'm just so inspired by him. I feel like he's someone that you can literally just hang out with all day and feel like you were best friends and except he's got to stop making me cry with those touching moments at the end there like oh he was, he was just making me fill with love and oh gosh I what a great person I'm so excited we got to talk to him today that is a good author though because he terrified you first I saw you kind of shaking in your boots while he was describing yes. small world and then here he is you know we asked that last question and what I love about asking that question is that sometimes it does really um kind of hit our guests like and take them off guard a little bit because they're just not expecting it. And you can tell that like he thought about it for a second and then went into this wonderful story about his grandfather and how that created the atmosphere that allowed him to really pursue storytelling. It's just really cool that we got that story from him uh, at the very end for sure. But Brett, what are your thoughts about our conversation with Ridley? Wow. Well, I, I love the fact that he kind of put into words how we all feel and that we are a community. You know, there's a community of cast members, there's a community of of Disney fans and park fans, and that it was so it was so wonderful that he put into words how we all feel, that we all are, are all very comfortable with one another, and we just have this sense of community and family. And I love that because it's true. It's absolutely true. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was so great to get a chance to talk to Ridley Pearson today, and hopefully he does get to come back. That would be fun. I can't wait to read the entire Inheritance series because, of course, he said that he's really finished with book two and he was working on book three earlier today. And that's really exciting for me as a fan because that will be 13 Kingdom Keepers books that you can go out there and read. So if you haven't done the series before, I've got to tell you that, yes, he mentions that he likes to keep up with technology and so some of the technology in those earlier books uh, may seem slightly dated, but I will say that it comes across because you're a Disney fan, you get to experience all these attractions and everything that they do. And it's cool because in a way, some of those first books are kind of like when you think about Tomorrowland as the tomorrow that never was, but always will be. That's kind of the vibe that those first Kingdom Keepers books give you. And then also I love 
having never been to Disneyland, experiencing Disneyland on opening day through the return in the Kingdom Keeper series, that was an incredible book to get back to. And the main character, Wayne, that shows up, the kind of the mentor character throughout all of this, I, I love that as a character. And so... Uh, I can't wait to dive into Inheritance, and I can't wait to dive into the entire trilogy of it and see where the parks are going to be going in the future through Ridley's eyes, and to also be able to experience a bit of Epcot through Walt's eyes as well. So if this happens to be your first episode of Beyond the Mouse, certainly please subscribe to us. We have a wonderful guest next week for our 200th episode. We had a lovely conversation with a good friend of the podcast, Yvette Nicole Brown, and we can't wait to release that podcast to you for our 200th episode. But thank you so much to all of you. You're going to hear a lot of thanks next week when we release that. But thank you in advance for all of your support and your continued support. Make sure to continue to follow us on social media and get involved, especially in that Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals Facebook group. We love to have you involved in there. And if you would like, uh, join our Patreon at Patreon dot com slash beyond the mouse any final thoughts uh, on ridley pearson we'll go to vanessa first i just again i can't believe that craig when you gifted me this book and apparently brett too but that's fine uh but when you gifted me this book that as i was reading it i just never thought that i would get to talk to the author and i just never thought that it would be such an incredible person that i would get to speak to so thank you for this gift that you gave me so long ago and also Brett, but thank you for this gift. And, and it's been a gift today, really, truly to talk to Ridley. I, I do hope our paths cross again, because he is just a delightful person. He absolutely is. Brett, any final thoughts before we sign off? What can I say? This was an amazing experience. I feel like we've met a, a friend again, and I do hope that, oh my gosh, to take him up on that. That's what I was going to say. Are, you know, it, it, would that sound like a verbal contract? I don't know. I don't want to get legal or anything, <laughs> but I'm like going, he mentioned you going to all the parks and doing the VIP thing. I'm like going, we will be there. Just let us know. Just let us know when. So yeah. that is so great. And uh, thank you again to Ridley. We really appreciate you and we appreciate all the work that you do for sure. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Maybe in the front row of It's a Small World, Vanessa? Yeah. No. That's It's no. a Small World. No, Absolutely. I, no, I can't. No, I can't ride that again. No, they're going to they're gonna get me. Every time I go on that ride, I think about that scene, and I bet there's lots of us out there, Ridley. Yeah. You did that to us. 